Welcome to CT Startup, an insider's perspective to the startup ecosystem in the great state of Connecticut. My name is Dave Menard from Eartha Kleiner, and today I'm joined by Chris DeMauro with Sublime Exposure Online. And Eric Francis couldn't make it today, but we do have our special guest, Luke Dang from Food, and that is food with a PH. Food Solutions, is correct? Uh, just food, actually. Okay. So, fun fact there Food Solutions, the web, uh, I'm sorry, food.com is like $26,000. So, we just went with <laughs> Food Solutions. I paid the 99 cents on GoDaddy and ended up. <laughs> Welcome to the startup uh, world, right? You think you got a good website name, and then someone else wants like tens of thousands of dollars for it. Absolutely. So I just keep on wanting to call it fat. It's like fat food. PH is <laughs> all around. So, we had a design mistake, too, where we're looking at our cards and it just says food on the front. But the font that we chose, if you flip it upside down, it says pood. So people, I hand it to them. I have to hand it to them upside down for me. So when they get it, they're like, oh, food, got it. Okay. This is fantastic. We're off and running today, guys. <laughs> so, so Luke, why don't you tell us about food? Sure. Um, so you, what do you want? The anecdotal background, Spark Notes version? Well, first of all, why don't we tell the audience what food does? Sure. So food provides food waste tracking analytics to commercial food service professionals. We reduce food waste volume by up to 50% and cut costs between 1% and 5% annually. So we provide essentially a mobile device, which can be a tablet, an iPad, and an electronic food portion scale. This goes right into the back of the house of the kitchen, where all pre-consumer food, so that's your overproduction, your leftovers, uh, gets weighed out, tracked, and entered into the system. We then aggregate all of that data and put it back into a simple dashboard and some weekly emails that show you uh, an intuitive waste trend so you can see what your top wasted items are and then actionable insights to begin reducing on that. So we look at your total production and then can give you some margins to say cut back by 10% here which will save you $5,000 for that particular item over the course of a year. And this is not a pie in the sky dream. This is something that's actually being used currently. Absolutely. So we actually started out in 2015. We spent about a year working with just one or two institutions through a pilot and a beta. And now we're with about 14 institutions all the way down in Ithaca, New York, all the way up to New Hampshire. Wow. Fantastic. That is, so that, that's but, definitely a uh, bit of a startup success there, huh? Well, it took a long time. So that was probably in the last six months mm -hmm. where we got about 10 of those schools. I, I wanted to say fantastic, but it's fantastic with a PH. Just so you know. <laughs> oh my God! See, this is what I was sure. telling you about. Like we got sometimes Dave comes with these little word things, and you know, I, some, somebody's going to do it. You weren't here in the James McLaughlin era when uh, there was a pun a moment. A pun a moment. Uh, I don't think a moment. I, I can't handle that. So I don't think that you guys would be able to top it when I go into meetings. So in addition to the startup name being a homophone for the noun that you eat, mm -hmm. there's puns everywhere, and I don't even mean to do them. So I'm like, you know, you're going to save $250,000 a year. You're going to save a lot of bread. And they're just like, kind of goes over <laughs> their head. I'm like, I'm like, that's some serious dough right over their head. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is... Wow. And then they come back and they're just like, well, let's put I, that, that idea on the back burner for right now. And I'm just like, ah. <laughs> you're like, that was excellent. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> oh, my God. So you could go all day. And, and sometimes they love it. Other times they're like, yeah, OK, we've heard that one before. P pe people don't appreciate the hazards of your profession. That's yeah. And you got to have fun with it, right? Absolutely. So, so, so how did you get into it? Where does food come from? So I was actually a uh, marketing and economics background at the University of Connecticut, and I heard this figure from the National Resource Defense Council that states 40% of all food produced in the United States is wasted before it ever meets a consumer. And to be honest, I didn't really believe it. 
I just I, I couldn't fathom that idea that nearly half of everything that we produce here in the States just isn't eaten. And then I was even more shocked when I found that that nearly half of that, of that 40%, comes from commercial food service operations. So we're talking healthcare at hospitals, hotels, college and university food service, fast casual, fast dining, grocery stores, uh, and even restaurants. And so when I really looked into it, I approached the Department of Dining Services at the University of Connecticut, and I said, you know, can we do something about this? Is there anything that's, you know, that, that, that we can implement? And they said, well, we're, we're pretty good at this. And other institutions, that's pretty much what you hear is we're really great. And so I said, all right, so like what are our margins? What, what waste percentage are we looking at? And they said, well, we don't really know. We don't, we don't track that. And so it kind of just dawned upon me just very simply that you can't manage what you don't measure. And so you can be really good at something, but you still need to measure it in order to identify and quantify that. So kind of went back to that dorm room, was watching some Netflix in my pajamas and was just like, you know, we could do this with a simple tablet and then a scale and just weigh out everything. And so for uh, one semester at the University of Connecticut in one of their eight kitchens, we implemented this system. And they tracked uh, all semester uh, a limited menu, so they weren't doing every single item. And they outlined about $30,000 in cost savings from that semester. And uh, they were pretty excited about it, excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, just to be clear, that's one kitchen, one semester, and they saved $30,000 over food waste? Sure. So that would be an approximate number. Right. So we're looking at uh, like a, a market average on some of those food costs. So it could be higher or lower um, depending on whether or not they were sourcing locally. So we didn't have actual costs. So we were attributing a uh, specific dollar amount. I believe at that time it was 2 or $3 per pound of food waste or as they say wasted food, kind of switching it around there. And that's, st that's still a tremendous amount of food waste and, and, and I mean cash. I mean really. Absolutely. And I mean you're talking about labor hours on top of that you're talking about mm -hmm. transportation from you know harvest at the farm all the way to uh, to the institution as well as waste removal I mean you're paying like $7,500 tipping fees for people to take this out and then 100 to 200 dollars per ton so in this way they they're able to a better refine their menu to those items that are gonna sell better um, it gives them better feedback when they put out new menu items absolutely mm -hmm. And they save on waste overall, and they can specifically save on waste for high, you know, high value items. Definitely, that's pretty interesting. So now, have you been running it at UConn ever since? Yes. So we've been continue, continuing our work with UConn. We're now starting to implement a new technology. So we're finding that the process to manually enter something in takes between 5 and 15 seconds to select on the item. We use a proprietary parser, mm -hmm. which extracts all of their menu items from online. And then they have to weigh it out on a pan. Uh, I'm sorry, on a scale. And so we do have all of their pan sizes um, and weights already stored into the database. So we can just easily tear that. They're not wasting any time there. But now we're actually exploring where we're implementing scales underneath each of the trash cans and compost centers so that it's automatically sending via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi what that weight is. And so now when they just go, they'll throw something away like they normally would. The tablet automatically lights up because it detects a weight difference on the scale and just says, what was that? And they just select from, you know, it was chicken or it was fish and, and, and walk away. And that takes about two to three seconds. And so it's really minimally invasive and easily digestible. Pun intended there. Nah. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop with those. No, please don't. <laughs> I'll see if I can get away with any at least. We'll, we'll, look, we'll look at our own analysis of the uh, podcast statistics and see when listeners start dropping off. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll come out with figuring how many puns were wasted versus how many puns were used. That's a good one. We're on a six pun limit here. <laughs>
No, but um, I, I really just so actually I, I met you I believe at one of the reset events. Yes, and, and um, you know I wanted to uh, maybe talk to you a little bit about how you know how that helped you get going, and uh, you know if that was a benefit, and you know just some of that stuff. Absolutely. So I think that Reset has done a fantastic job of really fostering innovation here in Connecticut. I've heard about it, and I've done work through you know YEI at Yale. Um, I've also worked with Michaela. I know you had her on recently, um, Patricelli Center at Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. And so Reset really has kind of gleaned a great cohort from across the state that they've brought together um, to really provide a, a lot of resources and guidance, um, which is fantastic. So, I mean, from we've, we're still in their accelerator currently, uh, finishes out, I believe, next month. And obviously, we'll hope to have an ongoing uh, relationship with them. But yeah, only good things to say there. And so what are you hoping to get out of it? What's your next step? So I think the biggest thing for us is that we really needed, so you can get advice and guidance from anyone, pretty much, right? Whether, you know, I know, I know my mother's been trying to do it since I decided to start up, you know, <laughs> years ago. Um, and it's really about being able to pick and choose. So you're going to hear conflicting advice all the time. And so I think what Reset has done a great job of is kind of providing a nice roadmap to kind of, you know, they give you a, a great cohort of mentors to, to listen to and kind of brainstorm ideas off of. Um, but they also foster relationships past that so that they can say, you know, look, if you need somebody outside of our network. And so we were really looking internally, but they were able to help guide us externally as well. So I don't know if that entirely makes sense, but it's kind of it was a kind of a well-rounded approach. Now, are you are you likely to seek money in order for growth, or are you going to be able to do it, in, you know, internally, sort of bootstrapping? Sure. So as um, you know, software as a service, um, our margins enable us to remain self-funded for the moment. But I definitely think that when it goes from say food college to you know, food hospital or food healthcare and, and, and so forth, food restaurants. I think that there may be opportunities there where we will have an ask that will uh, provide some funding to allow us to scale quickly. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, being a startup and entrepreneur in Connecticut. Sure. Um, you know, obviously you, you, you've had you know, good things to say about Reset and such. Um, but, you know, we often get people in here and they're like, you know, it can be difficult to run a business in Connecticut. Uh, what, what is your business uh, experience been thus far? That's a great question. Um, you know, specific to Connecticut, it's really hard to say, right? So I haven't been out of school that long. Mm-hmm. I haven't really ventured anywhere out else in the United States even. So it's hard to say what it compares to other states. Um, so I don't know if I'd be the best person to ask about that. I mean, I, I really do only have, you know, good things to say. I think that we do have a pretty good ecosystem. I have taken advantage of, you know, CT Next and some of the offerings that they have. I think that from what I've seen being up in Boston for a little while, where, you know, the tech hub and we're working with some schools up that way in Cambridge, um, you know, I think that Connecticut's definitely moving in the right direction. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, now, do you, how many people do you have uh, working at food right now? So right now we've got about four people that are full-time. We do take uh, resources that become available through the University of Connecticut and Yale. Um, They have entrepreneurship programs that sometimes offer interns. Um, I'm an advisor member at the uh, Small Business Development Center here for the state of Connecticut. And so I know that we have had partnerships with UConn where we've had actually paid interns um, for the summer. So we've utilized those a bit. So... uh one of the things that comes up regularly uh, with Connecticut is access to talent. Um, have you have you been able to find the people you need within the state, within these resources? Have you had to kind of like go out, you know, are you have people working remotely? Are they local? 
Great question. I, I think that for the most part, it it has been easy to find the talent that we need. But I don't know if I've taken any of the traditional routes. I've definitely asked around. I don't know if that ecosystem is, um, you know, has yet to be developed here in Connecticut. I know that there's a lot of technology that we've used. So, for instance, there's a mobile application called Shaper. If you've heard of it, um, I, have not. I think it's S H A P R. And Shaper allows you, it's kind of like a, a Tinder profile or, or like a LinkedIn connection where you just have like a simple photo, kind of a quick bio, two or three strengths, and you can kind of swipe swipe, swipe. left or swipe right. <laughs> right. But, but, swipe but right laugh. for employment. You laugh. But I've made like 18 connections in a day. And it's this ephemeral kind of like easily, you know, kind of entitled approach uh, or not entitled, but kind of this, um, you know, quick and easy ephemeral um, style that really makes it effective because people are kind of going through and it's just at ease. You can now have 15 developers within a 30 mile radius that you can then connect with, either get coffee do, or meet. Do you also rate how hot they are? <laughs> Secretly. You know, just, take notes. <laughs> this is this is actually fascinating, this shaper. This is the first I've heard of it. And this is actually I'm going to uh, explore this more when I get home. This is pretty neat, man. Absolutely. So, we, so we've actually found two or three people that have other um, done uh, like a freelance project or work with us in some capacity through that within the last month alone. Wow. Because um, so this is this is kind of like almost like a freelance marketplace sort of thing, like but like kind of meeting people. Sure. So there's different intentions, and you outline that with what you're trying to get out of the app. It's like, why are you here? And so you can select. I believe there's uh, several categories. You can say for mentorship, um, to be a mentor to find a co-founder, uh, funding. So there's kind of a plethora of different things that you can select from. And so I think we're in there under, you know, we're looking for mentorship. We're also looking for partners, uh, collaborators, and, you know, those to kind of, oh. with that ardent drive to kind of move forward with us. Very neat. Yeah. Very neat. You, you got a lot of things, uh, you know, you you've definitely, like, uh, seem to be in the know here. Uh, you seem to know what's going on and what you need to be looking for. Well, you know, and, and part of it is, is I think it's all about, kind of a qualitative strategy. So for instance, there's a lot of events here in Connecticut that bring people together, but it's about knowing how to navigate them. Mm. And I believe it was someone either through IQ or Reset that had told me, you know, the best way to do it is when you go into someone, when there's a large room of just entrepreneurs uh, getting together, that you should always find someone, just go to anyone and just say, okay, who do you know here? And people will typically tend to recommend somebody who knows a lot of people. They're never going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I know, you know, Jim, who knows like nobody else there. Right. They're <laughs> going to try and tell you somebody maybe either, uh, you know, above them, if you will, or, you know, has more connections. And then what you do is so then you go to that person and you say, OK, hey, Jim just told me he knew you. Who do you know here other than Jim? Mm -hmm. And you can quickly navigate and then always kind of, you know, tell you, you know, somebody else to those movers and shakers. And I found that that works out really well. And it's the easiest way to kind of get across a room and to get to know so many different people. So tell me, uh, I get two questions on my head. First of all, is you've been through two different uh, incubator accelerator programs at different stages. You were at the Innovation Quest when you're still at UConn, um, and uh, you know, and then sort of took it from there. And then later you went into Reset. Was it helpful to go through two different incubators? Could you have done well without one or the other? Absolutely. I think that it's kind of the process of learning. And by being able to contrast the two, we've been able to glean so much from it. And I think that, you know, the great thing about IQ is that so you're at different stages. Mm -hmm. And so depending on where you are, you're going to have a different perspective. And I think that that's what was really good is so IQ is more of like from, you know, 
back of the napkin idea to prototype to company, yep. whereas Reset's kind of, I think, 80% now of their, their current cohort is either generating revenue or will be generating revenue in the next six months, which I Great. think is fantastic. Um, so yeah, I think being able to contrast the two has worked out well, and you really get to have that you know iterative and incremental um, growth, which you don't really get elsewhere. And let me ask you about your business model a little bit. Sure. So I, I think one of the natural questions is if you're saving uh, a cafeteria on so much waste, do you, do you, what is the continuation of services there? Do you eventually put yourself out of business and just move on to the next cafeteria? Or do you, are you able to continue to help them in other ways and provide them different services? Yeah. So right now we're trying to look at – so part of being a social enterprise – is trying to look at how we can do good for not just so not just economically what mm -hmm. that value proposition is but also environmentally and socially and so now moving forward we're actually looking at getting commitments which is tough when you're a for-profit business approaching you know cold calling or approaching an institution is we're actually trying to get them to make a commitment back so what i mean by that is we'll go to Dave's University. And we'll say, okay, Dave, look, we're averaging right now about $11,000 in cost savings a year per kitchen. Yep. You have eight kitchens, so we're looking at just shy of $100,000 a year. So we'll do this at this price, but we'll give you a discount if you're willing to commit a percentage of your savings to either sourcing more local food, so to help your local environment and the farms and the people that encapsulate it, or increasing your donation or donating to a local soup kitchen or food pantry. Mm -hmm. And we've actually seen a lot of institutions that are really excited about that because food insecurity is huge, right? And, and food waste is finally getting sexy, if, if I may say that, <laughs> where, where people really are starting to care. It's kind of like the mm -hmm. local food movement, right? right. Ten, 10, 15 years ago, what's a farmer's market? Today, it's like you can't walk down downtown Hartford, Manhattan, or Boston without running into one on a Saturday or mm -hmm. Sunday in the summertime. So I think it's all about kind of leveraging that and saying, well, right, you know, we're wasting this food, but if we can turn that into cost savings and then we can kind of redistribute that in another way by either increasing our donation or by sourcing more local food so that the students can have healthier, you know, more wholesome options, I think that that's something that can really create a lasting impact where we don't really put ourselves out of business. And now we've created not just a waste reduction platform, form, but a uh, uh, Sorry, donation platform. Mm -hmm. And so, let's just say, let's just say you get to the point where you've been at UConn for five years. At that point, you've reduced their food waste significantly. So there's always probably going to be some amount of waste, but you're able sure. to to bring it down to minimal levels. They say, okay, thanks, thanks, Luke. We don't need you anymore. What What's the next step for food? Is it? I mean, there's there's always more cafeterias out there. I understand you could move into different areas and, and you move on from UConn to something else. But is there anything else you can offer them? To, to have them keep food, keep the food software going to make it worth their while? Sure. So I think that by looking at all of the data that we've aggregated thus far, we're starting to identify that there's more than just viewing a top-down list of what their top-wasted items are. And so we're starting to look at more of like regression analyses where you can actually start looking at menu planning. So mm -hmm. new items are always going to be incorporated into the menu. You're always going to have seasonality. You're always going to have changes in consumer behavior based on the population that you have. So, for instance, we can start looking at multiple items at once where we can see, okay, well, we see a 50% higher waste margin with chicken when it's served with fish as opposed to uh, liver. Right. And so when you go into a kitchen and you see chicken and fish, it might be a 50, 50 percent acceptability rating, meaning they might take chicken 50 percent of the time, take fish 50 percent of the time. But if it's chicken and liver, 
80 percent of the time maybe they're or 90 percent of the time they're taking the chicken mm-hmm. and only 10 or 20 percent of the time taking liver and so then really kind of baking that into the algorithm and kind of providing um, other variables such as what the weather is if there's any events on campus and then giving a kind of more granular approach mm-hmm. where now we're not just getting into reducing on top wasting items but also in menu planning and staff behavior yeah i was actually gonna ask about that i remember the initial pitch for food many many years ago it was uh was also to, to work on staffing levels and use of electricity and things like that. How, you know, if you've got seven cafeterias on a campus, which ones are filled when? And if you could say that Wednesdays at four, you know, cafeterias one through three are really busy, but four through seven are not, maybe you could, you know, maybe they could shut one down or partially or... So Google beat us to the punch there. If you've seen <laughs> recently, if you type in a local business, they have in hours of operation, but they also have busyness levels. Um, and I think they're actually live now too. Yeah. Yeah. I've, oh. I've used that for the DMV more than once. <laughs> it's super useful. Damn you, Google. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're right, Dave. So essentially, we had started off where we actually wanted to look at transactional data from institutions like card swipe data, where students are coming in and out of buildings, mm-hmm. going in and out of the cafeterias. And we were trying to look at an operational management software that would help alleviate costs on electricity, refrigeration, transportation, um, through kind of the flow of students. And mm-hmm. that, that also did incorporate other variables, like what the weather was like, if there were any events on campus. Yeah. Okay, and so <clears throat> now that now that you've landed a bunch of campuses, um, and I imagine you're installing there, are you looking to grow your staff? Or you? Yes and no. Um, so, you know, we talked about Shaper, and we talked about all of this technology that's kind of out there. I think it's really tough trying to find you know right culture fit. So we're actually really trying to explore right now, kind of the best way to allow for like a trial period. And it's both not only for us as a team, but Mm -hmm. for the other individual. When, you know, you have so many startups, and and I know you guys have talked in in previous podcasts about, you know, kind of the failure rate, and it is really high. And if you look at some of the top reasons for why that is, it's always with, you know, founder fightings, right, or Mm -hmm. with management and and your team. And so we don't want to, it's really tough to go out, meet someone once or twice at a coffee shop or in in your, so we use co-working space, and to really be like, all right, that's it. They're ardently driven. They're motivated. They're going to be with us till you know we you know make this thing big in the next five years, ten years. So we're trying to kind of beta test now several different offerings where we can say like, look, what if you were to kind of just come and hang out in the office a couple hours a week for say a month or two months? That way, there you get a good feel for us. We get a good feel for you. We can give you some light deliverables that you can either work remotely on or you can come in here and work on, and then kind of evaluate after that period without making any commitments. And they can go into it not really, you know, setting aside that time. So they're not, you know, pushing off other offers. They can absolutely juggle this with a full-time job. And so it allows some transparency there Mm -hmm. because the biggest part is just so there are plenty of smart, competent, you know, driven people out there. But are they going to fit with your team? And and I think that's what's really hard in identifying. And and I don't know if that's going to be the approach, right? But we're going to definitely play with it and see. So I kind of got more of a long-winded roundabout way of getting back to you of saying, I think so, but we're definitely going to be exploring some unconventional, unique ways of doing so. No, that's excellent. It's certainly an issue that I see all the time. Um, it, you know, there's uh, actually one company I'm dealing with now that they've they're bordering on you know making the next step to be very successful, but they've you know out of like the four people who started it, there's basically one person who's left. Right. And, right. And it's just a common issue. I mean, it, it, even with this podcast, you know, uh, David and uh, Eric started this, you know, there were two other guys and then they just 
you know, bye, Mike. Hi, <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> Mike. But you know, it, people come and people go, and it's not necessarily even you know, cultural things just happen. You know, people oh, yeah. can't always stick around for a startup idea. You know, something happens, a life event happens. They have a kid. It's like I need a stable job. I don't know where this is going to be in a year. You know, I I've had to deal with that uh, trying to find employees that will be able to match my. Uh, gusto for marketing <laughs> right you know not everyone loves marketing and i'm just like yeah but i get to pick who i work with so you know that's right. where that's what i have fun doing right and, and i think that's why so we really look for people who are kind of looking for that mastery where they already have opportunities in great you know paying position jobs and and they already are competent in their industry and they're looking for something else to kind of you know put them over the edge so that they can either balance this at the same time. And it's not a full-time commitment. We've pretty much, so the software itself is relatively rudimentary in, in the process of it. It's in the algorithms and kind of behind the scenes where you know the work can be done. So they're not really coming into it having to really launch the business. It's already, it's, we've already done that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of helping to figure out, you know, to Dave's point that he aptly mentioned earlier of like, where are we gonna go after that? You know, once we've done that, what are we gonna do? And it's finding the right people to help us do that. And, it, and it's interesting because when you meet people, everyone has a very clear indication of where they wanna go, right? Like I've talked to friends even back when I was in high school and they're like, I wanna be CEO or I wanna own my own restaurant. And that's great, right? It's, it's always nice knowing where you wanna go, but not a lot of people know where they are. And what I mean by that is like, think, so we're in Hartford, beautiful Hartford, Connecticut, but how would you get to New York City if you didn't know that, right? Would you, if you didn't know you were in Hartford, would you go north? Would you go south? And so you really have to know where you are before you can get to where you want to go. Mm. And so it's about finding, finding the right people who know both of those things. And that, that actually just kind of goes back to the whole, you know, are you able to find talent in Connecticut? And, you know, from what I'm hearing is, you know, yeah, you're not having too much of an issue right now. And I mean, it, it can just be discouraging because you can hear, you know, two of the things we hear a lot is we can't find the people we need and we can't find the money we need in this state. But, uh, you know, from what I'm hearing from you is, you know, at least as far as people go, you are able to tap into the talent thus far that you really do need. Yeah. I, and I think that to expand on that, I definitely think it's out there. I think the money's out there. I think the people are out there. I think that maybe we can expand on the networks or the paths, um, you know, that bringing them together. Um, but they're definitely there. I think we've seen that in going to some of these events. I mean, Dave would know more than myself. I know he's all over the place. I think every <laughs> entrepreneurial event has, you know, Dave Menard at the bottom of it. It's somewhere. kind of ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. Just say yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you know, Chris, a story about Luke. Uh, Luke was a motorcycle rider as well. Really? For a short period of time. Yeah. What would you have? Um, so I was actually riding on a friend's CBR 600 Ooh, okay. and, um, I think we were, so we were riding. <laughs> so this, what's, what's funny about the story is, so we actually, did, Dave, did you want to tell this? No, uh, no, no, okay. please. <laughs> so we actually were coming back, um, from Hartford and he's from Newington area. So we were coming back down from Hartford, going to my mother's place in Shoreline, Connecticut, in a, this beautiful, quaint little town called Chester. I believe the, uh, what's that uh, show that uses all those pop? culture references um that was in connecticut uh, gilmore girls gilmore girls yeah so they i think it was kind of inspired they had like essex chester deep river and so we were like oh we'd be so much fun we can kind of just tool around like there's the river there we can go down to the shoreline and so all of that was fine beautiful day made it all the way back pulled up into my mother's driveway which is this dirt driveway at one of the highest points in chester and i think i took a i, I hit like a, a rock in the front of the bike 
turned and I, I was like, all right, I'm going to have to dump the bike. Well, the bike dumped fine. There was like this metal pillar that was, that was mm. right there. And I just nicked it, just nicked it. And it's only six pounds per square inch for your clavicle. And the thing was like popping out of the jacket like this. Oh, my God. Yeah. That, this oh. is why I stick with four wheels. <laughs> but, but, but see, I was trying. We were, we were talking about this the other day because uh, I was trying to get Luke to get a uh, you're talking about getting like a Vespa, like a scooter. Well, I was saying about. <laughs> so we, we were there with my team. And it's funny because I, I mentioned to Dave, I said, Dave, so I got a question for you. And it's about bikes. And the, the, my entire team, they were all like talking to different people, like turn around like, what? And they're yes. like, eyes are like, you know, popping out, like finding Nemo. The, and they were like, do not let Luke get a bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I've also had accidents on mopeds too in Block Island, which isn't as cool of a story, but it's, it's happened. It can still be very dangerous. Oh, absolutely. Well, and there's sand everywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I stick mm. with four wheels. You guys with your motorcycles, it's very cool. But uh, I'm just... I, I'm just saying, Luke, he had this injury when he was first setting up his company and was able to was able to get beyond it. He was out of commission for a while, got beyond it, continued with the company, continued to evolve the idea, and brought it to fruition to the point that it's now a money-making regular company. I think that's fantastic. Well, thank you. I've Startup dedication, man. I appreciate that. And, and I have to say, I mean, I, I, so I'm here today. Um, the rest of my team could not make it because um, they're off doing, you know, they're doing food right now. And that's, that's I think, how it was possible. So, uh, my, you know, the co-founders that I have, it's, it's interesting. I met one of them at a UConn pitch competition and was like, wow, this kid is talented. And went up to him afterwards, kind of was like, yeah, that's a, that's a cool app. You can either make some ad revenue or you can join me and change the world. Yeah. You know, kind of gave him the uh, Steve Jobs to, uh, what was it, John Scully uh, uh, Pepsi or something yeah. at the time. And, you know, made that pitch. And, you know, the, the other one, I kind of just sent out random emails to UConn student groups. So I sent out to, like, the computer science one, to the, you know, engineering and the Associated Computer Machinery Club and found the other one. And so it's, it's through that where we've developed these relationships where I could have been in several motorcycle accidents and, and I would have no doubt in my mind that they could just run it because any one of us is, is knowledgeable um, but passionately driven on, on everything that we're trying to achieve. And it has to be so much more than just, you know, generating a profit or providing a service. You really have to be ingrained in it. Did you uh, did you all do all the coding internally or did you have to outsource any of the software development? We did all the coding internally. That's great. I, I can't claim any of it. I have, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know HTML unless you're talking about how to meet ladies, but. <laughs> I've never heard wow. that one. Did you know that uh, Hotmail, the name came from the fact that HTML is in there? It's, yeah, it used to be the way okay. they used to spell it was with the H, the T, the M, and the L capitalized. I did not know that. I, I think I saw that on Reddit. Huh. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you real quick was um, you mentioned you work at a co-working space. Do you have an office or is that just like? So we just do a co-working space and we kind of jump around. So we end up traveling a lot because in the initial stages of this, it's something that's really, it needs a visual and kind of a hands-on. We need to give a demonstration. Mm -hmm. So we do a couple of different, there's like work bar um, in Cambridge. There's also a co-working space out of uh, Central Square. And so we, we just, it, I think, it's about the flexibility, mm -hmm. um, but there's also definitely something. I was reading a book by like Daniel Pink, 
Um, and it was either like um, Drive or To Sell as Human, a great author, one of my favorite authors. And really talks about, you know, you really need to change it up to kind of get those creative juices flowing. And so, like, if you work at a desk, you know, every month or so, like, just kind of shift it to another side of the room. Or, you know, if you're walking to work in the same path every day, try and, like, cross the street and walk that way. And so it's really neat where we will spend several days. We'll work in Cambridge or we'll go into Boston or we'll, you know, be in uh, New Haven and and – you know, we'll kind of change it up to, to, to see if it has any effect. And it typically does. Great. That, that, that's actually really fascinating. I, that's really cool because I don't know if that's something that would even be doable 10, 15 years ago necessarily on the same level where you guys are just bouncing between like co-working spaces and stuff. But I like the idea of changing it up. Also, I move my furniture around in my office like every month. My my employees are looking at me like, really, again, like, come on. <laughs> like, I want that window this time. I want that corner. <laughs> and, and it keeps you on your toes, right? Because then you're like, where's that stapler? Well, li- it literally, I, I work at a standing desk, and I'm just like, I'm moving my desk, and I just shove it across the room, and everyone just gets out of my way. <laughs> right. Well, and I like the idea. So I'm a big um, fan of minimalism. Yeah. I've been actually trying to incorporate that into my life over the last six months, where just kind of trying to remove from the thousands of items you wouldn't believe that we have in our lives with, mm-hmm. you know, toothbrushes and just like random knickknacks that we have here and there. And wait, so wait, I like just to be clear, you're not removing toothbrushes from your life. <laughs> oh, don't God. tell anyone. I thought you can't just floss. That's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mouthwash. Although I haven't been to the dentist in a long time, so. <laughs> but so, um, but removing those things, it just, I mean, if you even look at like, so Steve Jobs, right, where he just wore this uniform every single day with the black turtleneck and the jeans and the New Balance sneakers and Mark Zuckerberg, where he just wears a t-shirt and I believe it's jeans every single day. And so you're kind of removing those daily decision, you know, making habits of just the little things and kind of just focusing on the big ones. And I think that it, it, from at least my experience, anecdotally, I can say that it's definitely worked. So tying that into co-working I think is so nice because you only can bring you know what you can carry so you're just bringing a backpack that has your laptop maybe a couple of different papers that you're looking at a book if you will and that's it whereas in your office you have all these different distractions and you see something and then it pulls you away from it so you can only carry around what you need and I just I love that concept that that's that's really cool I mean yeah I get it that makes a lot of sense because I was just thinking about today like I opened my drawer and I'm like the hell am I going to wear? <laughs> which, so, which is funny because I actually fill my office with toys so I can be distracted. <laughs> also true. You have like a Death Star thing going on over there, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got some cool stuff in his office. We'll have to show you after the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. Yeah, we have we have a bunch of those like Rubik's Cubes, like even the oddly shaped ones yeah. and like there's like yep. solid color ones. I have to, I swear though, someone gave me one and it was already jumbled and I think it's like a, a gag Rubik's Cube. I don't know if this is a thing or not, but like I played with it for hours, looked up YouTube tutorials. It will not go back to the shape that it was in. Uh, it's an unconventional <laughs> one. So I don't know if there's like a gag Rubik's Cube out there where it's just like you mess it up and give it to someone and then they just, it doesn't ever go back. But if not, that's a great idea. Someone should go. I was going to say, someone's going to hear this podcast That's and like, funny. start drop shipping those. Right? <laughs> to like that one friend. I'm sure we all know that one person that just sees one has to do it. Like it'd be perfect for them. I have never finished one of those. <laughs> Not once. I've, lo- I've done the YouTube videos and I know they weren't gag ones. It's, it's satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, Luke, wouldn't uh, well, a couple of small things. So, so, first of all, advice to other entrepreneurs. Oh, that's a good one. Um, okay. So can I go off of, I'll kind of tie this in. So I guess one of my biggest pet peeves of entrepreneurship is no matter who you meet and whether it's networking events or, you know, on a sales call, 
there are so many people or, or, or at, a, at a family dinner or holiday. That's actually what I feel like I have a lot of these conversations is you meet the, you know, um, cousin of a friend or, you know, your girlfriend's, you know, brothers, somebody. And, and everyone always wants to help, right? Oh, here's my card. Take this. One of my biggest pet peeves is never go to somebody and either offer assistance or seek assistance without actually being transparent about whether or not you want to follow through on that. Because there are so many times when I talk to someone, they're like, oh, I could, I could get you into Stanford. I could get you into, you know, Cal Poly. And then you go and you follow through with them and say, hey, so, you know, I'd love to meet up, talk about this. And they don't email you back. And I spend probably 10% or have spent 10% of my days just kind of going mm-hmm. through and following up with those individuals. So I think in entrepreneurship, it's really important that, you know, we're in it to help each other. And by us succeeding and us going through these accelerators and through these entrepreneurial programs and those being successful will further promote the growth of them such that others can be, right? And so, you know, you never want to go and tell someone, if you don't think you can help, I'm not going to be offended. Just say, you know what? I think this is really cool. I think it's a great idea, but I don't think that I can help you. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I'll think about it, but, you know, not not right now. And so I don't know. I think that the, the best advice is be transparent and be honest, especially in the asks, because you have so many entrepreneurs that are either going to be like, oh, I need all this. Do you really need money? You know, I feel like if you watch like Shark Tank. It's all just it's just about the money. It's not even about the product, like, you know, venture capital. It's just yeah. about going in. There are more classes that are just about how to raise money and, and doing that than actually just about your product and service and customer relationship management and all those other things that you need to mm-hmm. know. So, you know, I think it just be honest and, you know, tell them what you need and tell them where you are, too. I, I, I think that's actually a, a great advice. And, you know, I think it's something a lot of entrepreneurs can really relate to, too, you know, because, again, people want to help. They want to work with you and then you follow up and nothing happens. Right. I actually mm-hmm. feel, felt bad because I reached out to you and we set a date and then I realized I never sent my follow up email. <laughs> so when I conf- was confirming with Luke on Friday, I was like, oh, uh-oh. can you still come? <laughs> and you were so happy you sent GIFs. Yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. So uh, but, I actually use those too often, I believe, in, in a professional um, mm-hmm. email uh, messaging. But M- maybe maybe that's why they're not calling back. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> Like you didn't, you didn't like that Hannah Montana gift <laughs> I sent over, right? You got you, you put fresh prints in my inbox, and I was all about it. So okay. uh, Carlton, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Doing so, the backflip, being all excited. Yeah, yeah, right. What's not to love about that? Right. It must be a generational thing. Well, Who and, knows? Well, and right, and and it's so much that can be lost in electronic communication mm, too. Where yeah. I feel like even so, so all right. So I don't know if you guys do this, but in text messaging. I don't, they say it doesn't matter whether it's in a professional setting or not. Never use periods. Just, it just comes across so cold. They did a study and it was either like New Yorker or like Hartford Current or one of those where it was talking about like 80% of people who see periods think that the other person is like really cold. and really? Just kind of, yeah, yeah. You know, I can see that. So I, I was an English major and the way like the period is like, this is the end of the sentence. You're ending it with just like such a like a. You're ending it with force. Right. Well, in text messages. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah, 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 in text messages. But I, I never even thought about that, but I could see why. That's fascinating, though, because I was always, now again, I, I admit, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not in my 20s anymore. Uh, but, you know, I was from the school that whether, you know, whether it's an email or a handwritten letter or a text, you, you know, you treat it formally. Like you. Absolutely. Like, like you know, you, you, you treat it as if, you know, but I know a lot of people don't. You know, when they send text messages, they they don't use periods and such. But, jeez, I'm getting old. 
maybe I can um, conclusion. <laughs> amend my previous statement to so I usually feel it out where I'll let them kind of set the the syntax yeah and then I can kind of follow but if I have the opportunity I will absolutely not use any and and, and with gifts too because I feel like mm. it needs to be fun right and and it's such a serious setting and entrepreneurship is is is, a, is about kind of having a little bit of fun there because it is in the earlier stages and you're kind of talking to a great wealth of people so you know I. I why not? You know, yeah. And and if they and if they don't want to do work with us because they don't like the gift or they don't like the, the lack of a period, then maybe we wasn't meant to be anyways. That's definitely an aspect that, of startups yeah. too. Sometimes so, you're better off. Well, well, that I agree with generally too. I mean, you gotta, you know, even my profession, you gotta, you gotta work with people you want to work that you like working with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that yeah. kind of brings us back to so how how do you go and and find the right people because you could bring them on and then. You know, month into it, you know, yeah, sure, they're still as competent and as driven as before, but maybe they just don't click with the rest of the team. Contracts, Dave. (laughs) Not with employees, no. At will. Yeah, (laughs) at will, yeah, yeah. So, so I guess tying it back, so so be honest, be transparent, and don't use periods, right? (laughs) Don't don't use periods. (laughs) Says Luke. Yeah. Yeah, right? I'm going to back him on. I'm going to second that. I I have to hesitate, guys. I'm just, I don't know. I got to leave here and go yell at some kids to get off my lawn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you even have kids near your lawn? Yeah, I would get kids on the lawn. I guess I don't know. I just kind of picture you. He, so you live in Salem, right? Salem? No, I live in Sturbridge. Sturbridge, whatever. Sturbridge. Close enough. Yeah, the alliteration. Guys. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just, I don't know. I just kind of picture you living in a house. I mean, I'm in a very <laughs> wow. I'm in a very kid-friendly neighborhood. Like dusty we have lots roads, of kids. like maybe a well, like an old school well. I have or to something. wait behind the school like, bus in the morning. I feel when like I'm that's to pull the out. setting to like the movie The Ring or something. Yeah, like, like the women way. in bonnets and stuff. Like I don't know. Wow. <laughs> wow. I think you're thinking old Sturbridge Village. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, that went off the rails. Um, <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> so, so Luke, any last comments? Anything that you uh, want to pass out to the people of the world? Pearls of wisdom you want to drop on us? No, I, I don't think so. I think that just, you know, those that are, you know, looking at entrepreneurship, I know that for myself, it's, it's you know, it's a love-hate relationship. And when you really get into it, no matter how hard you think it's going to be, you know, it, it's worse. It's a lot harder than that. And there are going to be times when you just you don't really know what you're going to want to, you know, if you want to move forward or if you want to just give up or you just want to, you know, crawl into your mattress and stay there for the rest of eternity. But mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. about surrounding yourselves with, a, you know, a great team and, you know, having excellent role models for the values of hard work and success that will really help you get there. And so, you know, take advantage of that and don't be afraid to ask for help. All excellent. Right. Excellent. For real. Thanks for coming on, Luke. Uh, Absolutely. Great to you, have man. you. Pleasure okay. to be here. Uh, for everybody who's listening, if they want to uh, learn more about food, where do they go? They can go to foodsolutions.com. That's with a PH. That's with a PH. Yes. And uh, any other any other ways to contact you guys? Are you on uh, Facebook? Or We're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. You can find us on any one of those channels. Yeah, I found them on the Facebook. Okay. <laughs> we'll put those in our show notes, of course. And everything, uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of CT Startup, we're at ctstartup.com. We are on uh, iTunes. Uh, but Google Play, SoundCloud. Oh, we're on Google Play finally. Well, supposedly. Okay, so uh, so if you're if you're an Android user, you're finally able to listen to this. And if not, it's Eric's fault. <laughs> and Stitcher. <laughs> um, and uh, if you could, if you're listening to this and you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us feedback. Uh, please rate us on whatever app you're using. Uh, those really help us able to uh, move forward and continue able to produce these shows. 
And if you didn't like what you're listening to, just please go crawl into a dark space and close the door quietly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh. Thank you for listening to the CT Startup Podcast. We want to thank our audio sponsor, the Murphy Kalina Law Firm, our guests for their time and input, our production company, Sublime Exposure Online, and of course you, our listeners, for helping make all this possible. Make sure to check out our Facebook page, our webpage at ctstartup.com, and our Twitter at ctstartupcast. And please make sure to join our newsletter for all the latest information on the connected startups. Soon.